incredibly grateful for the support that that um, these leaders and and people in the community uh, do to, to help support this dollar. But I always remind people that you know children they don't get to choose the economic environment that they're sick in, and so our foundation's responsibility is to ask as many people as we possibly can in as many unique ways as we can for support. Hi everyone, it's Rob Lullisher and welcome to the Yegmi podcast. Excited to have just an amazing guy in the studio today. I've known him, I've been fortunate to know him many, many years. Mike House, he is the CEO and president of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Mike, welcome. Thank you very much, Rob. It's great to see you. Good uh, to see you. It's been a long, long time since we first met, and uh, it's great to be able to sit down with you and talk. Mike battled down here on a hard, hard winter Edmonton day, so very uh, uh, happy he, <laughs> he could make it. Um, as you said, Mike, we, you and I, we go back, uh, uh, well, not quite 100 years, but probably about a quarter of that. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll jump back to that, but uh, in, in the meantime... Let's let's just start it off. Like let let folks know a bit about your background. How how do you, you grew up here in Edmonton? Uh, yeah, so I have uh, what I call dual citizenship. I was okay. uh, born in Calgary and oh, raised in Edmonton. I, I was thinking Calgary for yeah, a moment there. No, I, uh, as soon as <laughs> as soon as my parents woke up, I went I went straight to Edmonton. Yeah, so I've uh, I've grade grade one to twelve with the exception of grade five. We were in Calgary for one year and then uh, all through university. So I consider myself an Edmontonian through and through. Uh, that gives up. you the stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I am a, yeah. I, and I think this is very Edmontonian of me. Um, I'm a Southside guy, so okay. so if you're if you're uh, south of the river, I know all kinds of nooks and crannies about this town. Uh, if you're in the West End or the North Side or St. Albert, yeah. it's like a foreign country to me. <laughs> just, are you one of those people who uh, refuses to cross a body of water and just just doesn't want to do the river at all? No, I, I'm happy to do that, but I am lost. Uh, when that happens. On the other hand, if you want to know where the uh, where the Dairy Queen was in 1972 on the south okay. side, I could that, point it out for you. Right on. Well, I'm a St. Albert guy. Uh, uh, we, we've got, if you want to talk like the old Klondike and, you know, go, go old school looking for burgers, that, that was the place to go. Um, okay, so growing up in Edmonton, you obviously love everything that, that we have going on in our city, but you think back to those times, early days, you know, what, what are some of those standout memories when, when you're growing up here in town? Um, uh, so this sort of relates to my job and what I do as well, but um, I was always a kid that, uh, that liked to meet other people. Okay. Um, uh, so I've got two stories growing up that are sort of indicative of, of, of who I am and why I love this city. Uh, I, I got lost in the Capilano Mall. <laughs> Uh, was that possible? Uh, yeah, no, for sure it was. And uh, and I remember my mom uh, having to go onto the intercom and ask if somebody has seen this little boy. And um, uh, how, how old were you? I you was I, I was definitely uh, of the age where like seven, eight, okay. where okay. Um, I knew where the toy section was, and that's what the rule yeah. was: is to go to the toy section. But when my mom found me, I was surrounded by other moms that had all been worried that uh, I hadn't hooked up with my mom in, yep. in, uh, in Woodward's at the time. And it really sort of is a story about how I knew the whole community. <clears throat> when I would walk home from school, my mom would ask, 
uh, why, what took you so long? You live across the street from Claritiner Elementary. And I'd be like, well, there was my cookie run. I would go to my neighbors and I would <laughs> ask them if they had any free cookies for neighborhood kids. And in the wintertime, uh, so I grew Your up in- early fundraising yeah. days. <laughs> in the wintertime in Otwell, I would, uh, I would go to the local rink in Otwell and, and it's still there. <clears throat> and I would wake up at eight or 8.30 and I would spend my entire day at the rink and wouldn't even come home for lunch. And I'd come home at 6 p.m. And that, that to me embodies, that to me embodies what Edmonton was like growing up is that you knew everybody, yeah. uh, you, you, you had people taking care of each other, uh, you had people looking out for each other and you, and you felt like you were part of the fabric of growing up. And I think that's why I'm so loyal and passionate about the city and why uh, when I had children, I wanted them to grow up in Edmonton and I wanted them to experience the same kind of childhood that, that I did. And, and I think they are. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's, uh, I think just, you know, society today, there's just not enough of those moments where the kids are like out, kicked out in the morning and we'll see you when, uh, when the street lights go on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I know my kids don't quite have that life. I wish, I wish they did more. I, I spent every winter out at the outdoor rink, and, and that's where I lived. Uh, should have come out with you. Sounds like there were more cookies involved. Uh. There, there were more cookies, and, <laughs> and uh, but, but you probably had better talent. So. <laughs> As a young kid, Mike, in, in Edmonton, do you have any real Edmontonian-type story that you were, you were there, or you, you participated in, or witnessed firsthand? What, what sticks out in your mind? Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm 52 years old, so I'm about... Uh, I'd say about eight years younger than Wayne Gretzky, uh, eight, nine years. So when, when he was just coming into the community, uh, I was 12 or 13 years old. And uh, at the Oilers games, they used to, at the intermission, used to have uh, a shootout. And I was one of the kids in the shootout. Like at the, the car? At the Oilers game. No, no. Like oh, this okay. is when, when you had like two players from oh, different the teams. little goalie and, and a little, little player. little goalie yeah. and a little player. Okay. And I got to be part of that. And I remember going up against a guy who was from Hazeldean, who was a way better player. Um, so you were a goalie? No, I was oh, a, I was, I was a shooter. Okay, okay. And so just just as I was coming onto the ice, Kevin Lowe was coming off the ice. And uh, Kevin looked at me, and I'm about five foot zero, and the other guy's about five foot eight, and he says to me, <laughs> go wide. That's all he says, go wide. I didn't understand what that meant, but um, the the guy from Hazeldean, he went straight up the ice, and the ice is sticky after it gets flooded. Right, right. And he kept losing the puck, and it was throwing him off, and by the time that he shot, he, he shot it right into the pads. So I took Kevin Lowe's advice, and I went wide, and it's not so sticky on, the, on that side, and I ended up winning the shootout thanks to Kevin Lowe. I have since told Kevin Lowe that story, and he, <laughs> he proudly tells that as... He was such a great coach for other people because he never scored any goals on his own. So I, sorry, Kevin, if you're listening, but thank you again <laughs> for giving me such great advice as a young kid. Probably still works in today's world because don't they uh, they Zamboni just that middle lane right. uh, for for the NHL shootouts? That's right. So That's right. He probably takes pride in whispering to McDavid each just go wide, go wide. But uh, I, I was really proud of that day. Uh, my dad um, came with me to the game and and and. Uh, the car ride home, we would always stop off at the at the McDonald's and get an orange drink and and 
and the pride that he had uh, and that he expressed to me that day that lives on for a long time. So that's a very Edmontonian thing, I think. That's awesome. Did you win like a Boston pizza? I didn't win coupon any, no, or, nothing or like that. No. <laughs> like that. An orange drink from McDonald's. <laughs> okay, so. that's pretty good. Pretty good deal. Um, so school's over. Did you go to UVA? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, um, yeah, your, your paths crossed many times with the university. So tell us about that first time. Sure. So uh, I, I uh, enrolled in the School of Business at the U of A and uh, um, had a really great uh, experience there. Um, one of the things that uh, when, I, when I went to university, there was no computer system at the time. You had to register on, in person. And I remember uh, one of my best friends uh, was an actor, and so I wanted to take acting classes and go to, the, to, to business school. And I was able to convince uh, the acting group uh, to let me into their classes. Okay. So I'm the only business grad with a drama minor, I think. Um, and uh, so that, that made my education a little bit different than maybe some of the other people's, but it, it really paid off. And, and now, of course, in business school, they teach people to communicate better. And, and all kinds of things, but at the time that was a pretty unique situation. Uh, but I went, I went to school, I got my business degree, and then um, were you involved in the arts at that point? Because that was a big early part of your your chapters was in the arts community, right? Yeah. And, so, and so was that outside of school? Were you doing things? No, I mean, I was I was always interested in 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 nonprofit. Um, one of the things that people may not know about me is when I was when I was a really young kid, four months old. Uh, I was diagnosed with something called cranial stenosis, which is when the plates in your head uh, fuse together prematurely. Okay. Yeah. So my parents had to uh, had to find somebody to do surgery for me. And, uh, and although this is not good for radio, you can see the scar on the top of my head here. It's about 12 inches long. I can see it, folks. Yeah. It's, it's a doozy. Uh, and uh, so my life was saved by having surgery done a couple of times before the age of, of three. Wow. And so this idea of feeling like you're born under a lucky star, uh, feeling like life is short and you gotta make the most of it, that carried through my life early on. That's why I was so eager to meet with people and to, to talk to people and to make friends and to not be shy and to really put myself out there because I really didn't know whether I was the kind of kid with the health concerns that was gonna last forever. Right. And so there's this always this urgency to like make the most of things. and so. Uh, it also kind of give you this opportunity to feel like I want to contribute back. I want to give back because somebody gave to me. And so when I went through business school, <coughs> pardon me, most of the people that I went to school with were accountants or like real estate people. Right. Uh, I went into the nonprofit sector because nobody went into the nonprofit sector. So I was competing against one person, myself. And I have been in the nonprofit sector yeah. for the rest of my life. And yeah. I started in the arts, but uh, yeah, I've gone on brought from a, there. Brought a business mind to it yeah. uh, at a time probably when there were not a lot of, I'll say, business-focused people in the nonprofit uh, community. They were driven first and foremost by their passion with that, with that nonprofit. Exactly, yeah. Um, when our paths first crossed, you know, to date us both from about 25-some years ago, uh, you were at the Edmonton Opera. Mm -hmm. I was an up-and-coming opera singer. <laughs> were you, Rob? I wish. That would have been pretty awesome. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't. But uh, how'd you end up with the opera? What, tell well, us about that. My uh, my first job out of school was at the Citadel Theater, and uh, I'd worked there for five years. Uh, first of all, just doing rentals and, and selling theater tickets. And uh, one of the ladies that uh, was in charge of of uh, the Citadel moved over to the opera and she asked if I would 
take on the responsibility of marketing and communications, which was what my business degree was. Uh, I'd never been to an opera before, so I thought, why not? I mean, I'm going to come from it from the point of view of we're going to market to people who have never been to the opera before. Yep. Who better to talk about it than somebody who has never been to the opera before? Uh, and uh, and that's how I got into it. Uh, but I fell in love with it right away. Um, it's a combination of both drama, dance, music, and singing. And uh, it's super expensive to put on, and it's really risky. But it's a, it's a wonderful art form, and I enjoyed it a lot. Very cool. I want to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing at the Stollery. But before we get there, uh, just again with your Edmonton hat on, what's your favorite uh, place to go for a bite in town? And, and not the McDonald's for an orange drink. Uh, what, what's a great yeah, so local spot that you wish more people knew about? So it's a great question. And uh, I, I, I will say that I thought about that question because you gave it to me ahead of time. And it really depends on what the purpose of the lunch is. So if it's a lunch where you want to be in the center of the world and you want to see people and meet people, then okay. I would say the Cactus Club downtown uh, on Jasper and about oh, 112 okay. would be, I see people Eaton there. Eaton Network. Eaton Network. Uh, if you want to have that old school, safe downtown in the middle, uh, great food, uh, Sorrentino's is uh, my go-to place, especially not just lunch, but especially at dinner. And that's when people are coming into town. Yeah. Uh, if you want to tuck away and you uh, you just want to eat and uh, you don't want anybody to see you, but you just love the food, my favorite place is Fabulous, which is just on 109th and 87th by the university. Uh, oh, okay. There used to be a Bex, Bex Veterinary Clinic okay. and a Humpty's there. What kind of food do they It's Vietnamese. Yeah. It's okay. Vietnamese. And then if you want something a little healthier, which I have to sometimes think about, oh, I, I need to have a salad or I need to have something. Uh, I love uh, what uh, the guys do at the greenhouse. Uh, they have a curry jerk chicken paella that I just love to eat and it's super healthy and, and it's, uh, it's, it's dairy free and gluten free and all those things. So it really depends yeah. on what I'm looking for, I guess. Well, you're a healthy guy now. You, you conquered a, a major milestone uh, recently. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second, but uh, um, Tell us about your journey getting getting to the Stollery, Mike. Where, how you started, and where you're at today, and and maybe a bit about what you see on the horizon. Sure. So, uh, you know, again, the, my whole career has been in the nonprofit sector. I spent the first ten years in, in in the arts, uh, and mostly in marketing and fundraising. I, I think that um, it's a great place to learn the craft because it's some of the hardest stuff that you can do. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Why, um, why do you think it's the hardest? I, I think because there are some amazing causes that have some real life and death needs out there, uh, and that's very compelling. Um, and it's not to say that art isn't compelling, but on the hierarchy of things that are important to people's lives, I think, you know, freezing in a in a winter storm when you're homeless is maybe a different kind of value than right. seeing beautiful art and seeing the quality of life improve as a result of that. So so you have to make different compelling arguments for, for why to support it. Um, my uh, arts career took me from Edmonton to Calgary to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Sorry about that. And, uh, oh, and, wow. then, and then when I came back to Canada. How did uh, that opportunity come about? There were just not very many people in the United States that had the skill set that I had. Nice. The person that was running the Walnut Street Theater in Philly that uh, that was in charge was from High River of all places. Oh, and wow. okay. so they were they were uh, they had searched they had searched through uh, 
Eastern United States for somebody of my skill set. Yeah. And they couldn't find anybody, so they they recruited me to come to Philly. So all the Philly cheesesteak sandwiches you can eat. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's 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 two there's two Philly steak places side by side across each other, and they always fight who has the best, the best one. In the world. And the truth of the matter is, is that probably something in Canada is better. So. Uh, because they use real meat. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about no, that. No, no, so no, we're we're glad the uh, the call it the Philadelphia experiment didn't quite work, and, uh, and Edmonton was was able to uh, recruit you back. Yeah. 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 So yeah. so I, I I joined a consultancy firm called KCI and uh, worked for five years doing a number of different things in Alberta, uh, whether it's Fort McMurray or Lloydminster or Calgary or Edmonton. And then um, after that five years, uh, the University of Alberta. The guy that was in charge there, uh, who I'd worked with at KCI, asked me to come back to the university, and, and um, uh, he said, "There's this job with a guy named Mike Percy, who was the dean of the school at the time, and uh, it's your alma mater. Would you would you come back?" And and I said, "Absolutely. Uh, I love that school. It was yeah. the best best years of my life in a lot of ways." And uh, so I was at the university for seven years as the assistant dean of uh, uh, development and stakeholder relations. I had a great experience. But I remember when I when I moved. Was that was that sorry, Mike? Was that yeah. from like a fundraising perspective, yeah. or or like a, a business community partnership? No, perspective? it was it was a fundraising perspective. Uh, okay. At the university, the budgets are fairly limited, and the only way you can invest in things in a faculty or at the university above and beyond tax dollars is to raise money. And so that's that okay. was that's okay. my skill. I'm yeah. I, I raise money. I thank people. I tell people where the money goes. I'll get you cookies. I'll yeah. get you money. What, what do you need? That's right. Mike House is the guy. Yeah. And uh, because I'm not raising the money for myself, yeah. I actually don't that, like that yeah. icky feeling that sometimes yeah. people talk about with fundraising. I don't I don't have any of that. I I'm really proud of the charities that I represent. And uh, but I can remember um, when Kathy and I, my wife and I, uh, moved back to Edmonton. Um, this was 10 years before I joined the Stollery. She, you're sitting around and you're planning your life out together. And she asked what I would do if I had the dream job. And my dream job was to work at the Stollery. And she said, what, what would you do there? I said, I'd run it. Yeah. And that was 10 years before I applied for the job oh, and wow. eventually got the job. So the Stollery's been on my mind for a decade prior to. And now I've been there for over seven years, so this is a, in some ways, a bit of a 17-year journey to get to where I am at the Stollery now. Wow. And so, yeah, I've been at the Stollery as the president and CEO for for seven years, and and uh, it, it, uh, like I said, I'm 52 now, and my goal is to be the CEO of the Stollery until I retire. They're gonna have to kick you out of that. <laughs> no, they won't kick well, me. you're you're great in the role. Um, Stollery touches our entire community. We, we see it everywhere, but maybe for those who don't quite know, maybe some of the, the numbers side of, sure. of the Stollery, can you share a bit about uh, just just some of the things you may not know? Yeah, so the, the Stollery Children's Hospital is uh, run by Alberta Health Services and ultimately by the Ministry of Health at the government. Um, it's the second largest children's hospital in Canada. Uh, it has more than one location. In fact, it has the major center, which is at the university, and shares space with the university hospital, both adults and children there. But it also has 70 beds at the Royal Alex. So if you have a premature baby or if you have a high-risk pregnancy and you're delivering at the Royal Alex, your, your son or daughter who's being born will go immediately to the Stollery, but the Royal Alex uh, part of the Stollery. I see. Uh, and uh, then we also have six beds that we've just expanded at the Sturgeon. So in we Albert, have an, yes. in St. Albert. So we have a number of locations where we're taking care of children. 
Um, we've also invested time and energy in building up a stallery level of care in Grand Prairie recently. And uh, that's in conjunction with their new hospital build. Is, is the driver of that, is, is time the most sensitive aspect or, or is it just the sheer numbers, like you need more beds? Uh, well, it's a, it's a combination of different things, but we know in children's health, the number one factor that gets kids healthier sooner is being close to their family. Um, and so if we can deliver the care where people live or as close as possible to where they live, that makes more sense. So it didn't make any sense, for example, to create another 70 beds at the university when people are delivering high-risk pregnancies at the Royal Alex. Let's just right. move our hospital to where the moms need okay. the care. Okay. Um, we had uh, almost 300,000 patient visits last year at the Stollery. So people are driving past adult hospitals to come to the Stollery because they know that the care that they get at the Stollery is customized to children's health. And of course, children's health isn't like adult health. So adult health, once you turn 18, you're fully formed, your bones are grown, your brain is grown, your yeah. organs are where the size that they are. But in children's health, you can have a child that's 26 weeks, could be one, one and a half pounds, all the way through to the man child that's 16, 17 years old, yeah. and might be taller than you and I. Right. So the the variety of patients that you see at the hospital means that you have to have a totally different level of specialization because you've got kids going through puberty, you've got kids that are from out of town, you've got um, kids with rare diseases because that's when rare genetics comes to light is when you're in your childhood, okay. not necessarily when you're in your, in your adulthood because again, you've been fully formed by the time that you're, you're an adult. Um, so it's a specialized hospital that isn't just Edmonton-based. It's actually, our catchment area is eight times the size of France and 40 times the size of England. So it is the largest catchment area in North America. Uh, it has a transport program that flies all the way from Alaska, Yukon, uh, Nunavut. And we have kids that have come from Ontario, from uh, Nova Scotia, from the United States. Due to the specialty services? Due to the specialty services, right. Okay. So there are two children's hospitals in Alberta and 107 adult hospital facilities uh, in Alberta. Wow. And so, uh, but there's 25% of the population of Alberta are under the age of 18. So where we feel the crush is, it, you know, two hospitals are taking care of a quarter of the population. Wow. And they're all specialized, so they're all needing a different level of care. And kids don't come to the hospital by themselves. They come with mom and dad and yeah. brother and sister. So we adopted a family-centered approach to the care, which is why you get the best care possible, but you also have to have a more expensive approach to the kind of care. And that's where our foundation comes into play. I was going to say where, I'm, I'm sure it's not as easy to draw a simple line in the middle of where does a AHS end and the foundation begin? So AHS will provide a level of care that's standard for everybody. But the problem is, is that you and I need a different level of care than a four-year-old. Because a four-year-old doesn't communicate to the physician right. that their arm is broken very well. Or that they can tell you where the pain hurts, or they yeah. can tell you complex issues. And so the foundation's jo job is to fill in those gaps for children. And you might say, well, that might be the government's responsibility. And Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but the truth is it's not going to happen. So without the contribution of uh, generous donors in our community, 
we wouldn't be able to provide a level of care that kids need in order to keep surviving. Wow. And so that's that's my passion. That's what I do is I raise money, I thank people, and I tell people where the money goes around children's health to deliver a level that's above the standard that we get as adults. Yep. How much is the foundation raising each year these so, days? So, yeah, we started five years ago. We were raising around $50 million. Now we're around $32, $33 million. Um, uh, we've contributed $150 million to the hospital and to the university in the last five years. Uh, we're the largest contributor, the largest donor to the University of Alberta, and all of that money is going towards pediatric research. So uh, one of the things people don't know is the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry is the largest faculty on campus. The Department of Pediatrics is the second largest department in the Faculty of Medicine. Edmonton is a hub for children's health in the world. So you want to know about something that makes Edmonton great? There this is. is the best place to raise your child if they're sick, yep. whether they have autism yep. or a genetic disorder or a rare disease or a heart failure or they've got croup or they've got a broken arm. Yep. We're the best place to be. I, uh, You got my vote. I have four kids. We have been there with all four of them for everything under the sun. Uh, some moderately, you know, broken this, broken that, and a, and a couple more serious things that uh, I'm, I'm thankful for ever in a day that we live in a community as great as this and, and has uh, a facility like the Stollery. Um, amazing work that you do there. Um, we'll, we'll jump back a little bit. I do want to hear a little bit about your thoughts of looking ahead for the Stollery, but uh, before that we joked about, you know, you injecting some health into in your life by eating, but uh, you, you also took on a pretty big physical challenge recently and uh, conquered uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Rob, have you ever uh, signed up for something and not read the fine print? <laughs> uh, this might be one of those things. So of course, I'm very passionate about you know raising money for the Stollery. And one of our board members, Richard Kirby, had this idea to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and to raise a million dollars for kids at the Stollery. And of course, I got excited about the million dollars. I got excited about helping kids. Uh, I was maybe a Missed little- that climbing part. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a climb, yeah, okay. Uh, and so we prepared over two years to, to make this happen. And I'm, I'm, there were 12 of us that signed up. Uh, and collectively, the group raised $1,047,000. Oh, so wow. I'm really Amazing. proud of everybody that, that did it. But climbing a mountain is not hiking. It is climbing, and Mount Kilimanjaro at the top uh, is actually higher in altitude than Everest Base Camp. Oh, wow. And okay. it's considered one of the yeah. seven mountains in the world to climb. <clears throat> this is all great research after the fact. It's not necessarily something I knew ahead of time. But um, it just goes to show you uh, this experience was about <clears throat> enduring uh, both the physical and mental challenges uh, being driven by uh, the pursuit of trying to accomplish a goal, uh, showing grit to make that happen, and never giving up. And uh, yeah, I lost 15 pounds in wow. seven days. And uh, so, I, so it takes for those who don't know, like it, it's seven straight days of hiking to to get to the top. Seven days up, and uh, usually two days down. Wow. Um, and uh, it's at a, between an, an angle of 40 and 60 degrees at a time. And it's just relentless. And uh, we had the worst weather uh, at our peak uh, that they'd had in 10 years. And uh, it was uh, 
minus 25 degrees and uh, uh, 40 kilometer hour winds that last day, which Ouch. was for me, it was an 11 hour day. So yeah, yeah, it was a tough, tough day. Well, congrats on doing that. Re read the small print next time. But uh, yeah, what an amazing accomplishment in, in your life. Yeah, thanks. Would you go again? Uh, you know, you never ask somebody who's just had a baby uh, whether they're going to have another baby, you know, within a few weeks of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I would we'll, like to. We'll to check that for, uh, we'll, we'll put that uh, sure. on the back burner for another year or yeah. so. It's, I wanna, not to say that I won't ever do it again, but uh, right now it's a little raw. So if you met some new friends in Kilimanjaro and you brought them to Edmonton for the first time, Mike, you, you've got a day with them. What are some spots in town that you absolutely want them to see? Again, I think it depends on the season. Okay. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite places in the whole wide world in Edmonton is the TELUS World of Science. I think okay. that they do such an amazing job. Uh, it's a world-class facility, uh, but it's more of an indoors kind of an adventure rather than so an outdoors good, adventure. Good winter activity. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in, in the summertime, Edmonton has a festival every every year. and. You know, every, having lived every weekend, yeah, exactly. it's solid. or every exactly, yep. and, and and having having lived in another of different places, I can tell you that's not necessarily the way it is in other cities. So whether you're dropping in at the Heritage Festival or the Fringe or or the Folk Festival or some of the other festivals that are a little smaller but just as vibrant, uh, that's something that I would absolutely put on my list. Um, I'm excited about what Fort Edmonton's going to be doing as their renovations continue on, and um, it's going to be world-class, Disney-like. Right. Uh, so that's on my list as they continue their renovations. But that's th a couple of years worth, right? Th yeah, for sure. Yeah. But if it's in the middle of the, if it's in the middle of of the summer or in the spring or in the, even in the fall, and we had a couple of hours, one of the best things that I love to do and I've fallen in love with is just going for a walk in the river valley nice so yeah I've got some favorite can't go paths. wrong there yeah, yeah. and I, I think on the, you have your paths are on the south side of the river right no they're not anymore oh we, we venture across to the north side correct. Do we? correct excellent yeah my my north side wife will be uh, pleased to hear that yeah <laughs> that's awesome when you when you think mike of uh looking ahead for the stollery and I'll kind of add to that a bit of the we'll call it the reality or the challenges facing the nonprofit world right now uh, just really interested to hear some of your thoughts on that well I know it's uh, it's an incredibly difficult economy right now and uh, there are business leaders that are, are trying to make ends meet and trying to uh, expand their markets and keep people employed and we're incredibly grateful for the support that that um, these leaders w and and people in the community uh, do to, to help support the stollery but I always remind people that, you know, children, they don't get to choose the economic environment that they're sick right. in. And so our foundation's responsibility is to ask as many people as we possibly can in as many unique ways as we can for support. And so I, I and I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur in a nonprofit world, but I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful and I'm positive because I always know that I haven't asked every single person for right. support. And there's always new people that see a different side to the stollery every day so uh i'm as much as it's tough out there i also know uh, and respectful of things i, I know that we, we still have some room to grow in terms of helping kids um mental health is one of those areas where i think edmonton just the way that the healthcare system has evolved 
is underserving uh, our community. And you know, when we talk about mental health, a lot of times we think about it from an adult perspective, but most mental health doesn't originate when you're 20 or right. when you're 30 or when you're 40. Uh, it actually happens when you're five, six, 10, and 12. 70% uh, of all mental health in Canada originates between the ages of 14 and 20. So we have got to do a better job of marrying the quality of care that we have for physical health and mental health together in this city and in this province. And the Stollery is committed to doing that. And you're going to see more and more investments uh, around mental health as well as physical health from the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Is to that from a, that. and I, I kind of loop yeah. all health into it with mental health on the reactive side is it, is it reactive measures or what are your thoughts on the proactive side of what needs to think about done? this you know if you uh, if you're a child and you have a learning disability and you're having trouble reading in school if you don't get that addressed in whatever shape or form uh, that can lead to a disassociation with enjoying school which can lead to different kinds of choices around friends which can lead to bad choices around using certain kinds of addictive properties, yep. which can lead to crime and homelessness and poverty. But it all stems back to children's health. If you can take care of a child when they're needing the help at the beginning of time, you'll prevent some of these other actions. I mean, children's health has been proven to be a social determinant for poverty and homelessness and crime. But if we're focusing only on the incarceration or the criminal side or the homelessness side, and you're not focusing on early childhood development, then I think you're missing the point because it'll just be a cycle of, of intervention instead of prevention. Now, I group mental health in a big bucket. So it's not just about suicide and it's not just about addictions. It's about learning disabilities, around genetic disorders, around everything from autism to trauma, both physical as well as the emotional trauma you get when you have a parent that passes away or a grandparent that you're caring about moving on. I mean, it's it, like the, the, the fragility of a child's brain is something that we don't talk enough about. And if we were to take steps early on, just like when grandma says, if you stitch in time saves nine. Yeah. If we were able to intervene early on, and in a collective way where we're taking care of not just the child but the parent too, we would have a healthier environment. And by the way, it's been proven that if, if you take care of children, then they become healthier adults. And if you have healthier adults, the cost curve in this province would go down. You would actually be spending less money on health if you took care of kids. And so we're big advocates for making sure that you have healthy kids, that they're active, that they're eating well, that they're got a good safe environment but if they don't let's do something about it right away and challenging it almost takes a full generation to to make that disruption or that investment on the front end versus the I don't want to call it the ease of just just call, tell me how much it costs to fix this well and it's and, funny you and, say a generation right yeah. because I have seen now almost a full generation of kids since I've been in this job and you know we have we have elections that happen every four years yeah. we have uh, cycles of leadership we need to stop using that as an excuse you know a kid goes from being 5 to 15 in 10 years that's when we should be focusing on that just that 10 year cycle right. 
right. We could make a huge difference in a much faster way if we stop worrying about a generation. Interesting. So when you look ahead for the stallery, do you do you see a lot of effort and focus on the on the proactive side of that that learning that that development with children in in Alberta and beyond? We do, and in fact, we're very encouraged by the fact that the current provincial government has set up an associate ministry of mental health and addictions. Um, you know, philanthropy can make change happen faster yeah. than taxes. Uh, and we want to make sure that we give our donors the opportunity to truly transform children's health the way that they want to see it. And the way they want to see it is they want to not only improve uh, the services that are provided to their children, have better access if they're living in remote communities, but doing it in an integrated way so that as their kids transition to become adults, they're having that healthcare transition also be supported. Uh, you know, if you're an 18-year-old kid with autism, all of a sudden you're an adult and you go into the ACE program. Right. But you're still autistic. You've been autistic for 18 yep. years. You haven't changed. If you have a heart condition, you're going to have a heart condition for the rest of your life. People who are injured right now who are having trouble with their hips and their knees, they didn't wear those out in their 50s. They wore them out in their 20s and then their 10s and then when they were little kids. And so, again, I, I just, I'm a, such a big advocate for making sure that we take care of kids early on so we can save money down the road. Um, I, I think for the Stollery, uh, our dream would be to expand our services both from a network perspective. So uh, we've already worked with Grand Prairie. I'd love to work with people in Fort McMurray and in Lloydminster and Red Deer and other places where there are kids and, and huge populations in their own centers. Yeah. Uh, but I'd also love to be able to integrate mental health and physical health better. That's awesome. Well, best of luck with, uh, the, well, obviously never ending, but just the, the great work that you're doing there. And, and thank you for all that you do with that, Mike, for, for Edmonton and, and but every other community that you just mentioned that uh, pretty awesome to show up to work each day and know the, the impact that, that you're making. Yeah, thanks. So we know what you're doing on the on the business side. You, you just conquered Kilimanjaro. Is, is there anything, Mike, on the, uh, for personally in the next few years that, that you want to take on? Uh, it's a good question. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, as I get older, one of the things that um, I need to work on is just patience. Okay. So uh, I, I, I think being an entrepreneur, I get frustrated by how slow things move, and, and I wish that we were moving forward faster on a number of different things and and not just at the story but just in general in the community right. but uh, but uh, I also as I get older realize that uh, I have to have a little more patience so that's what I'm gonna work it's it's a different kind of mountain but it's a it's a big one nonetheless so what do you do to do that what what do you think you can do to work on uh, to surround yourself with more patient people or <laughs> well no I mean I think I think you you take a holistic approach to it so for example, um, some quiet time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's meditation or yeah. I've started doing things like I, I I go to Modern Gravity, which is a local business that has float tanks, and uh, on Sunday mornings I'll I'll go float for an hour and yep. just sort of decompress and forget about everything, and that's pretty cool. It's funny uh, with technology. Like I, I recently got an Apple Watch, and and I found interesting just one of the things, one of its prompts for you is just to take a moment to breathe. Yeah. And and it, it is calming, just that moment of, you say you're just getting caught up in the in the 
action of the day and, and just taking that moment to let's just pause for, for yeah. a second here. Yeah. Right on. Um, if folks want to learn more about the Stollery Hospital or, or get in contact with you, what, what are the best places to do that? Uh, you know, we have a website called uh, www.stollerykids.com, and that's, uh, that's a great place to learn stories about kids that are being impacted or the latest technology around okay, cool. around uh, healthcare that, that we're investing in. Uh, and uh, if they want to reach me for whatever reason, I'm, I'm an open book. Uh, very Edmontonian of me. I don't really have any gatekeepers <laughs> or anything. But Just bring, uh, just bring cookies. Just uh, Yeah, maybe cookies would be good. But uh, mike.house at stollerykids.com is my email address. Okay, cool. Uh, before I let you go, Stollery Hospital aside for a moment, just, just Edmonton. If you, if you look 20, 25 years out, if there's one thing you, you wish our city can do or, or will be at that time, what, what is that? Uh, so I grew up in Millwoods, and, uh, and Millwoods uh, has a huge diversity of population. And one of the things I think Edmonton's strengths include is the diversity of our population. Uh, I would love to see us be a more multiculturally accepting place than we already are. And we are, by the way, an incredible place yeah. for that. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see more of that because uh, it, you only get richer when you have lots of people from lots of different places coming aboard to, to add to the soup. And, uh, and we need to do that. We need to do that more. We need to encourage communities to come into the fold and be part of things better. Uh, but we also need to be more open and welcoming and be, right. ki and be kind. Nice. I couldn't agree with that more. Well, everyone, uh, Mike House, CEO of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, old friend, fellow opera singer. No, <laughs> I'm so happy you could make time to join me today on the Yegmi podcast. Uh, keep up the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, wish you nothing but success, and I'm, I'm thankful for all the work that you and your team do. And uh, all the best in the year ahead. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us, folks. I'm Rob Lullisher, and this has been the YegMe Podcast. Be sure to visit our website, www.yeg.me, for more information on the show and some of our past podcasts. Also, some fun Yeg swag you can check out. All kinds of good stuff on the yeg.me website. And we look forward to seeing you in future episodes.